0: All right. Let's bring it back to the panel. They were talking about something, so I'm not even sure they know what the question is. So let's find out. Hey, panel, go. What was the question?
1: Was the question? <laughs>
0: How I'll do you shepherd intentionally your <laughs>
2: shepherd your kids' hearts?
1: I'll, How
0: do
2: you keep that relationship strong? I'll start, Travis. Um, so we we have four kids. They all have different personalities. One, one thing that I try to do in... I'm not great at it, I'm striving for it, is to say yes.
1: Amen.
2: Yeah. Right? Like, we we so often just want to say no because we're exhausted. But when they ask, they just say yes. So, so even last night, like, I did not want to stay and do late-night stuff. I wanted to go home and go to bed. As soon as I got home, Levi said, Dad, will you play PlayStation with me? Like, so I went to bed later. But <laughs> just... I, I, think, I think intentionally trying to say yes to them um, and, and it's, a, it's a growing moment because it, it's had some teaching opportunities for us because sometimes they will, which they're kids, they don't always recognize these things, but they, they will come in and they'll ask a question that they already know the answer has to be no because of what we're doing in the moment that we can't stop doing that to do this. So when there's nothing standing in the way, just say yes, even if it's something you don't want to do right now. I think it'll be helpful if
0: you just share the ages of your kids. I think it'll help the listeners.
2: Yeah, sure. So, so we have two girls, twelve and ten, and then two boys. Uh, Levi will be eight on Tuesday, and Knox is two.
3: Uh, I'll pick you back off that because I—that's I, an important one that I learned early on.
2: How old are your kids? <laughs>
3: 9 and 11, is that what I was supposed, all I was supposed to say? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, 9 and 11. Um, but a lot of times, my no comes from just, I'm tired and I don't want to do something. And so, just swallowing that, realizing, man, I, you know, if they're asking, if they want to engage, I need to say, my default needs to be yes. It's gonna be no if it's something dangerous for them or whatever, but, sure. but yeah, no, I'm with you.
1: So our kids are all out of the house, um, 22. <laughs> <laughs> What's their ages? 22 to 31, I would just say two simple things. One is every kid, no matter what their age, loves to hear their parents say, I'm proud of you. In fact, every person loves that. So tell your kids every day, I'm really proud of you. And especially when they're little, and this changes with girls as they get older, but when they're little, add a touch to it. Because when you touch your children properly and say, I'm proud of you, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a moment. There's some chemical reasons, too, even oxytocin, I think it is, that passes from you if it's more than seven seconds. Things like that are biological. I'm just saying when, when your kid knows you're not afraid to touch them and that you are proud of them, that's a moment. You want that every day if you can. So that's one way to shepherd your children.
3: Robert Lewis, uh, I know, Ben, you referenced him. Uh, he said for all the sons, they want to hear three things. I love you. You need to use those words. My dad didn't necessarily do that with me. He was just one of those, oh, he'll know that. But, I mean, I've, I, so I had to learn. I got to say those words to my son. So I love you. I'm proud of you. And then he likes to listen. And you're really good at, and something really specific. So not like some general thing, but he's, you know, you're really good at, and that really shows your kids that you're paying attention to things that they're doing. So I like that. Um, My two oldest are 14 and
4: uh, 12, and I only have one hand, okay? Uh, And I tell them often, you may be taller than me, but you're never going to be stronger than me. Mm. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, I do tell them that often, but um, I think one of the most profound uh, things that I recently read in a book by Paul Tripp was that we need to make... uh, and I talked about this in the breakout, five shifts, and this is mostly a subconscious shift that has been huge for me, but shift from thinking as an owner of your kids to think as an ambassador. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I'm an ambassador, I'm sent from God with a message to my kids. I do not own my kids. They belong to God. I am a steward of their hearts for a time, and my job is to give them everything that God has told me to give to them in train up a child in the way that they should go, right? Like you said, I think all all our kids are different. Right. And I need to train them up in how God has designed them to be as a warrior for their kingdom, not like who I have this amazing picture of who my kids should be. And if they don't measure up, then that reflects on me. And it's, you know, so I'm an ambassador from God to my kids. For a time.
5: I'd say two things. I'm learning, and I'm a student also, that one-on-one is the best. Mm -hmm. So on a night when all of my kids are gone and I've just got my little one, hey, why don't you and I go see a movie? Or why don't you and I go get a Sonic drink? They love it when they're singled out. And while we're driving down the road and they won't say anything to me, because teenagers won't say anything, um, I've learned this is really powerful for them, where I just say, hey, can I tell you about something I'm struggling with? Because they don't think I have struggles. And I'll say, hey, I think I might have to let a guy go at work. And, man, I'm afraid that if he leaves, he may take 10 guys with him. And I'm kind of scared about it. And it turns into a conversation about things they're scared of. So if I can lead with a struggle, it makes me more relatable to them. So when I'm in a one-on-one situation, try to share something that I'm wrestling with internally. Again, giving them access to my inner world.
0: Anybody else? All right. Back to the field, a couple of questions came in on the theme of vulnerability. So here's the question. Share with somebody next to you a current struggle. Where are you currently struggling? Where's the where's spot of weakness in your life? And what's your plan of attack? Go ahead, and we'll give the panelists an opportunity.
2: You guys, you guys ready for this? Uh, <laughs> what am I struggling with that I want to share? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. If I share it today, I'm mean,
4: And it's just kind of like, at this point, I'm, like, I'm not the father, the, the husband, the pastor I thought I would be at this point. Um, but, now, I mean, that was like two months ago, yeah, today, as I sit here, I'm mean, yeah. like, yeah, I've got a lot of stuff.
2: Pastors, we need to build a life. Right? It's okay for us to have a life. I took a picture of the buckets and I said, "Hey, which one of my going is that?" He said the same one. Which is different. All right, I
4: don't
0: want. I don't want to cut that one off. Um, but I will. Sorry. All right. I'd love for everybody to share if you're willing to current struggle and what's your plan of attack. Steve, you want to start us off? We'll just go down the line.
6: Sure. Uh, you know, I think that a constant battle for me is insecurity of just, I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough husband. I'm not a good enough father. I'm not a good enough community leader. I'm not a good enough pastor and constantly taking hits to that identity. And I just think it's, it's really, it really comes back to always coming back to the Father and realizing, you know, that um, I'm enough for Him. That's all He wants is me. And just really spending time alone with Him and allowing Him to fill me with reminders of that. Because otherwise, I'm going to, in this world, fail over and over again. But God always is filling that cup. And that's, you know, the importance of having a relationship with, with your Father. Is, is, it's the one thing that y- you can't go without.
1: I mean this, I'm glad you're pastoring in our network and pastoring life change, I mean that. Not just because you said that insecurity situation, but I mean that. Glad God crossed our paths that day at Chick-fil-A. Amen. You kept going green light to green light.
6: Green light is the only reason I'm sitting here, because of that turn, green lights.
1: I'm proud of you, buddy, that's good. and I appreciate that. Um, I think I have some fears about the future, and all frankness. Um, Relation to our family a little bit, I'm really glad for what's probably ahead. am a little fearful, not sure what to do with it. I'm not sure how to help my wife through it, and so I just don't know what to do with that. Um, so I, I can hear myself saying, trust the Lord, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't know what to do with that either. Sometimes I'm like, how do, how do I do that in that? So I just don't know, but I have some fears um, that I know how to really, accept. just look into them and not turn away from them. And then I think the buckets, that my emptiest bucket, I think all of us were like, which bucket is the worst? Like, which is the emptiest? Like, sometimes you look at all of them, right? But I think the friendship one, if all these pastors are honest, that's probably a hard one for us. You're with a lot of people, and you're just not sure. I was telling Scott earlier, you have a lot of acquaintances and probably a lot of friends, but you're just not sure what you can say to who sometimes. And so you don't want to play favorites. You don't want to get down that road of, you don't want everyone to cross that road because there's clear uh, Bible verses against it. So, but you can't parse your time out equally either. And sometimes you just feel like it's an impossible game to have a really close friend in a church. You feel that way. I'm not saying that's right, but you ask the question. I think sometimes pastors feel like, man, what do I do in this situation? And then if Julie and I are very, very close. She's the best friend I've got. So I don't want to conflict with that. Uh, so, there's just a lot of times you get a lot of weird feelings when it comes to friendships as a pastor. You just do.
5: You guys have heard me on this subject a lot. I'm going to defer to keep going.
3: Thanks. Um, so, uh... I hate
5: exercise. Yeah. Oh, you want to know, I'm I hate exercise. I know I look thin. I, I'm very unhealthy. And I wish I liked exercise. I hate it with everything in my being.
3: But I want to like it. I'm just struggling because I read the Bible too much, and (laughs) so uh, uh, you know, here I am telling you guys to be a student of your wife. I mean, that some where that comes from is is that I'm still, she's got her own rhythm, and I'm still trying to find uh, to find ways to sync up with that rhythm. Uh, Just her schedule and and you know when she has her highs and she's got her energy and she's ready to talk and sometimes it's just hard for me to align with that uh, at times. So that's that's still something that I'm still working on.
4: I think like the single thing that probably sent my wife and I to that marriage intensive was in me personally a continual for the last 15 years of ministry struggle with a, a feeling of failure because of comparison. And, um, and then Ben, when you were talking about the whole bucket thing, I was like, I don't have a life. I'm a loser. And it's like, that's just what it feels like. Like all of the, all of these in some way. Um, but the, the, it, it really is. It's for me, it would be the bucket would be like hobbies. Sometimes I struggle to feel like, um, not guilty when I'm, Doing those hobbies like I should be. Like, if I'm out doing this hobby, then Heather has to right. do everything with the kids, yeah. right? Even if she tells me, you go. And it was, I was talking to one of our guys, like, you go, you need this, right? And like, you can say that, but I'm going to feel guilty the whole time. Yeah. And I really don't know what to do with that. Yeah. So, yeah. that's good.
2: That's good. That's good. Uh, I don't have anything different than anything that's already been said. Um, I struggle with the same insecurities. Uh, I, I think my number one insecurity that I daily struggle with is competence and feeling inadequate to do what I'm doing. Um, and, and then to sit up here and do this right here, like Travis, I'm, it's feeding that insecurity. And then I also know I gotta stand up before a group of people tomorrow and preach the scriptures which is a very weighty thing, right? Um, and at the same time, like those buckets show up and I'm like, I don't have any friends. Mm-hmm. I And yet I would say all of you sitting up here are friends of mine, but yet what's that deep relationship? Um, yeah. So I say all of that to tell you that as pastors, we all have the same struggles you guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if anything, maybe this gives you a window into our soul and. Can help care for us in, in different ways. So. It's only
6: fair that Travis answers this question, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. I agree. I, I thought he that. should have answered the discipleship question. How many Since want to hear Travis answer yeah, well, this yes, question? Travis. Let's hear it. Out. Yeah, so.
5: come on, Travis. Yeah, uh, I can share my with?
0: weaknesses. I'm good at that. I don't. Uh, um, I have so many. Um, I think that uh, just to be completely honest and frank with you, like this weekend has terrified me because it's a big event and um, this has been terrifying for me. I probably slept two hours last night if I'm just going to be honest because this is a big deal and Probably not my natural gift set to run big events if I can just be honest And so my current struggle has been fear and lack of sleep and anxiety if I can be honest with that and my plan of attack is to get through it. So I got about 25 (laughs) minutes left (laughs) And I can go home and sleep, so uh, I would good. say this is You've the best good. year I've been oh, to. Oh, I appreciate that. You thank you. Know that, right? Wouldn't you guys? Thank you. When this has been a great yeah. year, you oh, right. a great job. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hey, Ben, would you weigh into Nick's question? I thought that was too profound to just go by. Which question are you talking about? If you feel guilty about having hobbies. It's a good question. Would you mind leaning into that a little
5: bit? Well, first of all, I do think communicating with your wife about your commitment to your hobbies is very wise. A lot of guys step out and say, I'm going to take up golf. And by the way, I'm going to be gone Saturday from 8 to 12. You're with the kids. Yeah. Like, that's really bad. But most wives that I, I know want their husbands to get a life and do something that would make them nicer when they're home. So they, they want you to do something that is balanced. Uh, a lot of us have a problem when we get into a hobby. It's all or nothing. But to be able to say, once a week, I'm going to ride my bike Or once a week, I'm going to meet up with a friend for coffee. Um, I I think communicating with your wife, and sometimes that is where I I keep saying this, going to counseling, be able to say, hey, what does health look like for us? And there's somebody there to help us kind of walk through this. But I would say our wives have no problem with this. They're really good at building friendships, finding things they enjoy. Generally speaking, it's us as men that feel like we can't have hobbies, and yet we hate the fact that we can't have them. So it's a matter of making it a priority. But I do appreciate your authenticity. There have been a lot of times when I've done a hobby and thought, she's going to hate me for this. Mm -hmm. But when you talk to her about it, she doesn't hate you for it. She really appreciates the fact you're taking care
0: of yourself. That's That's good. All right. Back to you guys. The couple questions that came had to do with evangelism and sharing your faith and gaining the courage uh, to to open up um, that conversation. Todd a lot of times says crossing the pain line if you've been around here. So what advice would you give each other for gaining the courage or maybe the faith that is required to have that spiritual conversation with you know somebody is, as of today, destined for hell? What would you do?
3: Yeah, I, think the I, fantastic fantastic. Yeah.
1: So, I got
3: good good job. Good
2: job. Thank you, Thank you. So, we'll don't I think, I think in my experience,
5: All right guys, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've got to answer this question from my perspective and then I have to step out. Somebody said it this way, that authenticity is the apologetic of our day. The best way to get people to listen to you about your faith is to be authentic. So you have to do evangelism in a way that's authentic. So know yourself, be real, but things that I've learned along the way, when I, when I know it has to go from conversation to confrontation, gospel always has to do that. I try to lighten it by saying, hey, I want to share something with you. And please, if you don't agree with the thing, anything I'm about to say, no, I'm still going to be your friend. I'm still going to love you. But I, I care about you enough. I want to tell you about something. And then tell my spiritual story. And talk about how Christ has changed my life. And say, hey, I don't want to pressure you. I don't want you to feel like our friendship is dependent on what you're about to say, but if you have interest in more conversation about this, I'd love to talk to you. I have yet to have an instance in that where it didn't go well, where I just opened up my heart and shared my heart and the other person either appreciates it, no thanks, or says, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, about my own journey. Uh, so I think people often think that's going to go very poorly. But if you do it out of a spirit of authenticity, it almost always goes well. Where it goes wrong is when you try to force something down someone's throat. Uh, Nobody likes to be treated that way. Uh, So just be gentle and authentic and let them know that I'm I'm a little nervous to talk to you about this because you've become such a good friend, but I want to share something with you. Uh, People appreciate that. Guys, it's been great being with you. i got to catch a plane to see my family and exercise more. (laughs) Thank you, Ben.
1: As he leaves, one thing I want to tell you about is he has a podcast. He and his wife, Lindley, have a podcast called The Glass House. It's probably aimed more at pastors. Is that fair to say, Ben? Yeah, but everybody would enjoy it, I promise. They would. (laughs) Uh, And in a few weeks... A guest he's going to have on there is a couple that when they moved to Colorado, they were their neighbors. And I don't know the whole story other than they said the neighbors, it was like a six-week test. Like, we'll see if this new pastor passes the six-week test and if we like him or something like that. I think you may know the story more, Stan May. But anyway, at the end of the day, the neighbors came back over to stand, to. Um, their house, and said, um, basically, we'll be your friend, or I'm not sure how they word it, but they kind of passed this six-week test that they weren't considered weird. Or So it's that couple, they've yet to become a Christian, but they're going to be on their podcast talking about authentic faith and living out your faith, and they're going to interview these people who still are not yet believers. I think that's very intriguing to have them talk about... Um, Living next to this pastor and his wife who were new to Denver, becoming friends with them and yet not coming to faith yet. So, I I just that's going to be on a future episode.
0: All right, let's go back to the topic real quick. What would you do? What um, you know, you need to share your faith, you have a relationship with somebody you're struggling to have the courage or the faith to share, Steve. Oh. Steve, your, uh, your workshop was a little bit about loving your neighbors, and I'm sure you talked about evangelism. Would you mind sharing a few things, maybe, that if guys missed your workshop?
6: Sure. Yeah, for the art of neighboring. I think the, the, the key is what we've been saying. It's, it's about the person. It's not a project. Like, you can't view your neighbor as a project. Like, I'm my intention, where they're going to see that my only goal is to get you into church, my only goal is to get you saved, my only, they're going to tell that. They're going to know that. They're going to sense that. And so that word authenticity, you got to have a genuine love for them simply as a person, simply as your neighbor. Love them right where they are with no expectation that someday they're going to be where you want them to be, where God wants them. We all want them to be saved. Mm -hmm. And so I think that if you look at them as a project, what's going to happen is is constantly you're going to be frustrated by them. Instead, when you view them as a person. And you can understand and love them as God loves them in their brokenness, in in their differences. Then it it changes the narrative of the story as you minister to them, as you help them see who God is in your life. And they would much rather that before they ever come to Christ, want to know that you just genuinely, honestly care for them as a person, regardless if they ever darken the doors of your church.
3: Uh, uh, beside, on top of uh, what's been shared, one of the things that, that hits me is there are very specific instances in my past that I can look back and I could tell you specific stories of doors that were opened where I didn't share the gospel with someone. And I have guilt, and I let that guilt sit with me because that motivates me then even more so that then I, I'm watching now for open doors because now if an op- if there's an open door, even if I didn't think that there was an open door, I, I at least share the gospel. If it's if it ends in still an awkward conversation or awkward silence or whatever it is, at least I don't have. I'm not sitting there walking away thinking, "Man, I missed that opportunity. I might have said the wrong things. I might have you know." But at least I at least I don't have that. And again, maybe that's maybe that's wrong attitude to have or wrong wrong advice to give. Uh, but that's just a reality of of what motivates me. Um, I don't have too much to add except that
4: I pray often, Lord, help me not to be surprised by people's sin. Um, like when it comes to the unbelieving world, I mean, I'm not surprised by my own sin or yours in the church. But when it comes to people outside the church, like I'm not. I don't want to expect them to behave like someone who is a Christian. And so for me, like just being able to be, I love it. This is one of my favorite things, is when I'm around somebody for a long time and they are in an addiction or they are stuck in some kind of sin. And eventually they realize like what I believe about that. And they're like, wait, you didn't leave? Mm -hmm. Like, that's one of my favorite things in the world, Um, which doesn't always happen. But it's that, I mean, that's so. And I always tell my church that evangelism is, to me, is simply don't put the filter up. Let the Jesus part of you just, right?
1: Travis, was the question how to get over the fear or what to do? When you feel afraid.
0: How to get over the fear, how to gain the faith to go and share the gospel.
1: So if I can be just bluntly honest, I don't know that any of us really ever get over the fear. I think sometimes we should operate boldly, which is not the absence of fear, but just courage and the presence of fear. So often you're doing something even though you're just a little nervous and fearful. I I think maybe there's an unrealistic expectation that we're not going to feel afraid. I feel afraid every time just this past week, and I found this helpful, ask permission, and so probably all of us know two or three folks at least that, that aren't believers, that we're friends with, I found it helpful just to ask permission, hey, could we, get, uh, could we get something to drink this Thursday? I just want to share one thing with you, and if they say no, they say no, but most folks will tell you yes, or whatever time's good for you, and if they say yes, I do get fearful. I get nervous, but then acting in spite of that is actually what boldness is. So I just maybe... Don't think you never don't think you're ever going to be unafraid like that's probably okay to be a little fearful in the right sense of the word is that all right to say yeah i think pastors i think the, the misconception is that we're experts in it
6: there is no such thing as an expert except for jesus and witnessing he did it perfectly and i'm sure without fear but we did we all have fears that are just going to come out so i just i want to get that right out none of us are experts at this and so it's always a fearful thing to share that
2: yeah yeah, I I agree with that and and I think one one way that I would encourage you especially if you have young kids in your home is practice evangelism in in your home. Like mm-hmm. the reality is is that your kids may or may not tell you no when you ask, "Hey, can we talk about this?" but they're still going to love you and they're still going to show up and if it didn't work then 30 minutes from now they're going to forget that you asked, so ask them again and just practice sharing the gospel with the people who live in your home. If you're married and your wife is a believer, practice sharing the gospel with her. Let her help you in that in that process of sharing. Uh and and I'll just I'll just confess me personally, evangelism is the hardest has been the hardest for me when my spiritual tank is the most empty. Because there's nothing in me that's just overflowing, right? Acts 4 tells us that uh, the, the people encountering uh, Peter and John after they've healed this lame beggar in front of the temple, that they recognize the boldness that they had. They saw their boldness and recognize that their boldness came from the fact that they had been with Jesus. Right. So I think that's that's what you were talking about, Todd, is that that boldness is really just the presence of courage in the face of fear. That's good, all right, back to you guys. Couple questions
0: about cultural issues. Um, this one is particular with your family, but maybe we'll broaden it for you guys, and maybe we'll bring it back for the panelists a little bit. Um, what do you do when you disagree? How do you disagree? Uh, what do you do in those conversations when you realize a cultural issue, you're just at odds? You butt heads, you, you, you don't see eye to eye when it comes to a culture is- issue. What do you do in that moment of tension? And he, it, yeah, the question is specifically, like, do you, do you have to agree with your spouse? Do you have to agree with your kids? Is it okay if there's differences in the home? That's how the question is worded. So I'll just give it to you guys for a second, let you guys kind of digest that for a moment, and then we'll give our panelists a moment to respond. Go ahead.
2: Does that make sense?
0: It was specifically for you, Todd. It says... Uh,
2: so many, so many In Todd's session,
0: once we've come to a why behind the what of cultural issues are our, our whys, what our wives and kids should also believe as the leader of our home or candor so, being disabled. Would you mind hand-tackling it first? I can. Is that is that helpful? Yeah, of course. I was wondering if they would know I'll read it. I'll read it. So, I think there's a lot of... I'll, I'll read the question yeah. for okay. And then Todd's got to take it
3: first. Okay. Yeah. Kind of right? Yep. Yeah.
2: I think it depends
0: on what you disagree with, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, if you have a fundamental disagreement about whether your kids should be at home or in public school, like, that's something you can do with every day. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. right. I've had enough time to wrestle with that one a little bit. All right, let me uh, read the question uh, as it was sent to me. And then we'll let, uh, Todd's workshop was on this one, so we'll let him address it, and then we'll let the other guys chime in as well. So the question reads this way. In Todd's session, uh, once we come to our why behind the what of cultural issues, are are our why's what our wives and kids should also believe as the leader of our home, or can there be disagreement?
1: So it's going to depend on what the issue is. Let's be frank with each other and admit there probably are some things you can have differences. So I don't know how to parse those out here right now. On the major predominant ones, I think I would say to you, I can't speak for you, but I would say for me, I married Julie because there was a lot of alignment early on, and there's still a lot of alignment now. And so if if she has a why or I have a why and we share it, it is a high, high probability chance that we're going to line up. So I don't know how to, on a really important issue, with there's theological and biblical foundations, I just don't have experience in, like, my wife saying, I can't get there, or me saying to her, I can't get there. So I don't know what to do with that. I would admit there probably are some lesser important things that we do disagree on. When it comes to our children, I would say that here's a line that we've used as we've explained some things, probably maybe on a lesser of important scale, here's where your mom and I are, and there'll be a day, you don't have to line up with that, but until that day comes, here's what we're going to practice, and we expect you to kind of follow suit. You try to be humble in saying that, but there has to be a leader in the home. There has to be a unified um, sense, so they may not actually follow with you here in their head, but you can't have, like, division just showing up over things in your home. That doesn't work. Sure. And so you ask your children as they get older, here's kind of how we're going to behave. Here's how we're going to line up. Here's how we're going to practice these values. And I just need you to know you won't be here forever. When you leave, you're welcome to practice this in your own way. But till then, can you just honor your mom and dad by just kind of getting in line with these things? Wow. That's one of those lesser things. Um, I just don't know how to answer the one, on the really important ones, when there's, I would probably say this, if there's real disagreement on massively important issues, there's probably something underlying that even. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know, if, that's probably what I would say. That's a hard That's a hard question. That may actually happen with uh, marriages where there's an unsaved spouse. Maybe that's where that, and that is very difficult. My heart really goes out to folks in that situation. I'm not sure what to do with it here, but um, I would encourage men to know their why and to be, uh, in the face of fear, to lead courageously with a reasoned uh, explanation of why you believe what you believe.
3: Uh, I might just add into that, you know, especially on something that's of, of a lower importance, a lower impact. Um, I think in the right situation, the right setting, it can be healthy for your kids to see you and your wife disagreeing on something. If I, can sh- if I can ask questions, tell me more about how you see it. I don't see it that same way. I c- if I can demonstrate, because I should be able to, I should be able to demonstrate that I love and respect her and that I want to ask questions. I want to understand what her point is because guess what? God might be using her to get to me. And so I want to ask some questions. I want to be respectful and things like that because I think if kids can see that from their parents, then all of a sudden it, it maybe better equips them to deal with conflict and disagreement. Because in the society that we have today, it seems like as soon as we have a disagreement, oh, now we hate, you, hate each other and things like that, we just, we've lost that chance to have a, a respectful dialogue with someone that just sees something different than us. And so I, just, I think that there's a skin. These are lower issues, uh, but I think that maybe it's an opportunity.
1: And let me throw a phrase you can use into that. Our staff would probably say they've heard this uh, from me, maybe from us, but we say this sometimes, there's not a verse for that. I think Travis would even say, you've heard me say that to you, like, and so when there's not a verse for that, and I would say even a principle, let's rejoice that there's freedom. Instead of saying, well, we don't agree on that, and making like a negative, just say, hey, you know what? Like to your children, there's not a verse for that, so your mom and I see it differently, but that's, that's freedom. You have that same freedom. There's not a verse for that. And rejoice that perhaps in an area you actually have the freedom to disagree without being disunified. But I would use the phrase, there's not a verse for that, or there's to show that there's freedom here. We're not just mad at each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody else? All right. Well, we got a few minutes left. Um, I was just wondering if we could just kind of give each guy an opportunity to share. Maybe we, he talked about your one sentence. Would you be willing to maybe just for a second, guys, share with the person next to you, just maybe one takeaway. So we're wrapping up. We're done here this weekend. You've heard a lot. Would you be willing to just share with the guy next to you? What's one takeaway you heard from this weekend? What's something you want to go home and do or consider or contemplate? Would you be willing to just share that with the person sitting next to you? And then we'll let our panelists wrap us up.
1: Oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you you can right like, or even more top than... What's
2: right? Yeah. Well, Knox has, like same. Like some extra layers. Of yeah.
6: yeah. His favorite phrase,
0: right now suck.
6: Which I He just jumps in the room, like, something. Yeah. he, like, tries to I
4: know. It was how Yeah, it was it was What's up, bro? How is it Monday? Is it? Okay. okay. Says it to the waiter. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the following morning, Okay. So. Yeah. this the yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bring it back to the panelists just for a last minute and then we'll give you some final thoughts. Guys? Hopefully it's been helpful. What's something you've considered contemplated this weekend? Well, I
6: think for all of us, you know, in part of my class was um, the fact that uh, we like to pride ourselves in saying we're busy. And uh, I love that he said that life can be busy, but empty. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we always want to take inventory. Are we busy about the right things? And in those buckets, those are the right things. So it's really just looking at those buckets saying, I need to be busy about those. And if I'm not, then that's why I feel empty, even though I'm busy because everybody's busy and so it's really stopping and taking time to make sure that I'm evaluating that
2: yeah I, I think my focal point from today especially is is that I want my kids to say I want to be like dad right like I don't want to give them a reason at some point to say I don't care what I am when I'm older I just don't want to be like you
4: Um, I think for me, uh, the responsibility, but more so for me personally, the freedom to fill those buckets.
1: I found a lot of um, appreciation well up in my heart for my parents, my dad especially. We just are, are really close, and the Lord, just by his sovereignty, you know, put me in a home that it's hard to express the gratitude I have for my parents. I just am so thankful. And so um, as he was talking about, you know, fathers and even Ben's own admission, I don't know what's going on there. But, and then as he thought about, like, man, I just hope that, uh, you know, like with our kids, like, um, yeah, I just want to kind of keep that legacy going and do the best I can. And I was thinking, what's the next, what's the next risk for me and Julie? It's so easy to get stinking comfortable. Yes. And I was like, I don't want to be that way. And um, I'm probably tempted right now to just enjoy the fruit of a good bit of labor, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want that. And so I'm just asking myself, I ask you tonight, like, what's our next risk? What's the next thing that we need to put on the table and say, let's go for it? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Those two things really stuck out to me. It's probably more than one, but that's where I'm at. That's
3: gotta be fun. Uh, I'm always looking for a, uh, a new opportunity to a new hook to talked to my wife about, I really liked his comment about uh, men are emotionally modest and physically immodest and women are the opposite of that. And I thought that was an intriguing thing and it's something I wanna just dig into my wife. Again, just a little open door, just a topic of conversation for us to just uh, explore how we're different and and chance to love each other, so.
1: Can I ask a question on that? It's, uh, oh, well, we're 2.30, mind. I'll ask you. No big deal, we're over time, so. You
0: sure? All right, I was gonna say the same as Mark, is emotional uh, vulnerability. I don't mind sharing thoughts or opinions, but when it comes to like my heart or how I'm feeling, I'm not transparent with my wife or my kids very well. And so I think that was just a convicting moment for me. It's like, do my kids even know my inner man? That kind of moment when he said that was like, no, my kids don't know my hurts, my fears. And so that's not a great thing, so.